We're going to be in the book of Ruth, and today we're going to make our way through most of chapter one. We may not do the whole chapter every week, but hopefully you will be encouraged as we learn a little bit from Ruth. This will be more kind of of a uh, kind of a walk through the passage together, and I'm going to highlight a few points. But what I want you to see today, most of all, I want you to see Ruth's character and see who she was, and then pray that the Lord would allow you to have those characteristics in your own life as well. All right, Ruth, chapter 1, and we're going to start just with verse 15 and 16 as we get started this day. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. If you guys have, most of you probably have encountered the book of Ruth before. It's an incredible story of love, of friendship, of God's sovereignty. The fact that God is in control when it doesn't look like he's in control at all. Does that sound familiar to our setting, a lot of us today, <laughs> right? And of course, one of the most amazing stories of redemption, Ruth is the picture of Jesus. And Boaz, we'll see later on when we get in the book, he is the kinsman redeemer, and Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And Ruth is a picture of salvation all the way back in the Old Testament. So we're going to make our way through chapter one today, and I want you again to see the kind of person that Ruth was. And pray that God would help us to know how we can be that kind of person. Let's look in verse 1, Ruth chapter 1. The scripture says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And so a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. What do you know about uh, Bethlehem? Anybody famous from there? <laughs> Jesus, right? Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and spoil the whole story for you right off the front, right? Most of you already know the book of Ruth. But what you're going to find out is it's like, you remember when we talked about Rahab, the harlot, Rahab, the prostitute, she was a Canaanite woman, and she is in the lineage of Jesus. She's one of the great, 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 great grandmas of Jesus. Well, here's, I'm spoiling it for you again today. So is this Moabitess by the name of Ruth. She also is in the lineage of Jesus, which just blows my mind, all right? So we're going to look a little bit about Ruth today. Now, it's really important, and this is hard for us, I think, a lot of times, that we need to understand the name, what the meaning of the names of the people are. What's your name mean? Anybody know? Say it. Sorry, Melissa. Honeybee. Melissa's name means honeybee, all right? Anybody else? Bella? Bella! It means the beautiful! right? Yes. Bella means beautiful. What a great name, right? I always like to make fun of Rick's name because I looked it up one time. You know what Rick's name means? Hard ruler. <laughs> uh, 
Like, mm -hmm, he's the king of his house, right? The hard ruler. That's right, yeah. So you, you've been in charge for a couple of weeks, after a week or so. Uh, my name, of all things, means crossroads. It's not very exciting, is it, right? Travis means crossroads. I don't, I don't know, right? But when you're looking in the scriptures, a lot of times there's really important meanings as it tells a story. So as we kind of work our way through that today, I want to go over just real briefly a few of the, the meanings of the names. Elimelech, or Malak, is the word king. And Elimelech means Eli, like Elijah and Elisha. The Eli is God. And so it means my God is king. So Elimelech, from the town of David, actually Elimelech's going to end up being like the great-great-grandpa of David. <laughs> uh, his name means my God is king. Naomi, anybody know what Naomi means? Naomi means pleasant. And Wendy is laughing. You can ask her after church why she is saying that. But her grandma's name was Naomi. Okay. Naomi means pleasant. Now, this is really hard. And I don't know, and I still wonder why people do this. Malon and Kilion, their names mean sickness and wasting. Why would you name your child that, right? <laughs> I think probably if we could study deeper, we would find out that they probably had some multiple meanings, but that one of the meanings was this idea here. So the wives of Ruth and the wife of Orpah, or excuse me, the husbands of Ruth and Orpah were named sickness and wasting. The, the children of Elimelech and Naomi, Malon and Kilion, their names mean sickness and wasting. Orpah will be Ruth's sister-in-law. And her name, not Oprah, but Orpah, her name means double-minded or stiff-necked, which is interesting. You can find a little bit about Orpah in just a minute. Anybody know what Ruth means? Do we have anybody with a middle name, Ruth, or anything? No? Ruthie? My aunt's Ruthie. It means friend. Ruth means friend, all right? So just to give you a little background, and as we kind of make our way through, I'll kind of highlight again some of the meanings of the name so you can understand what's going on here. To give you just a brief little context, we're in the days of the judges, right? So if you make your way through your Bible, you've got your law, right? You've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the Torah, right? And then you have Joshua, which is one of my favorite books about conquering and, you know, God doing great things. Then you have Judges, and who are some famous Judges? Samson, Gideon, right? Samuel are Judges. So you have Joshua, Judges, and then you have what? Ruth. So this is where we're at in the context of Bible history, right? So we haven't started with King Saul. We haven't got to that place where Israel is going to get their king. They're not there yet. They're still in the time of Judges. And that's exactly what the book of Ruth tells us. In the days when the judges ruled, we have our setting, our situation. So what's going on at this time? Well, it was a, a difficult time. They weren't dealing with pandemic necessarily, but they were dealing with what? With famine. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I've ever really dealt with famine in my lifetime, right? There are definitely some worries I know of. Some, the droughts are getting more and more intense, especially like on the West Coast. They're getting worried about some of those things. But most of us probably don't understand famine per se, right? Uh, most all of my life, I could go to Kroger or Walmart or 
uh, Kmart or whatever it was at the time, and there was food on the shelves. Now, maybe we didn't have a lot of money and we couldn't get everything we wanted, but there was stuff to be had, right? So we have to think a little bit about things a little differently here. This famine was so intense that what does Elimelech decide to do? He's going to take and uproot his family from their home area where they live, and they're going to go to a foreign land. Would any of you like to move to Mexico? <laughs> I'm sorry, Oliver. I knew it was a joke, but I didn't hear it. <laughs> oh, it depends where. Cancun, maybe. Huh? <laughs> right? Would you like to move to Canada? Well, maybe Canada more than Mexico. <laughs> um, how about Venezuela or Chile or Guatemala right now? Those are not places that most of us would want to move to, right? What, what, when you think about a move, think about everything that comes along with the move, right? Especially this kind of move. Like if you're moving to a different country, there's going to be a different culture, different habits, different patterns, different ways to get your food, different languages, right? And you are going to be the outsider. And some of you, that may not mean as much because you don't mind confrontation. But for those of us that don't like to stick out and don't like confrontation, it would be a lot to switch and to move to a different place. And so if you know the history of Israel, Moab, they were a people, kind of a people of trickery and de the deceit, and they had pulled a few fast ones on Israel. They did not get along. And yet, because times are so desperate, because there's no food to be had, Elimelech decides to take his family and they go to Moab. So they go to a different place. And so they leave their home, they leave their family, they leave their culture, they go to this new place to try and find their way. They have the two boys, and they make their way to Moab. Let's look down at verse 3. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her two husbands, and her husband, excuse me, her two sons and her husband. So while they're trying to make their way in this foreign place, Naomi loses her husband. Why is that significant? Well, in just the Israelite culture alone, for a woman to be on her own would be very difficult right? Again, we know these types of things. The education would be through the man, the, the making the money or the funds or the livelihood for the family usually would be through the man. So to lose your husband was a, a huge a difficulty and burden, but not only to lose him, but now to be in a foreign place that he took you to and to lose him, right? So uh, Naomi doing the best she can, she tries to get wives for her boys, she does secure women, but again, another problem, right? Um, what would be the concern about having Moabite wives for Naomi? Again, think about culture, right? Well, these women, they grew up worshiping other gods. And so if they have grandchildren for Naomi, it could very well be that these Moabite women will teach Naomi's grandchildren about these false gods and try to lead them into worshiping false gods so another burden and yet she wants family she wants her boys not to be alone 
but very concerned about what will happen. Well, within a time of span of 10 years, Naomi loses her husband, Elimelech, and she loses her two sons. Do you think Naomi would understand grief? What a place to be, huh? Not only am I not with my own home culture and with my you know, extended family, I've left all of them. I'm in a foreign land, a strange place. I don't know the language. I'm having to deal with different food and different people. My husband's died. Now my sons have died. God, what are you doing to me? Do you think she would feel that way? We're going to read later on. I think very much she felt that way. Questioning the Lord, like, why have you done this? And she finds herself in a really desperate strait. So what I want you to get to think about, what's Naomi's name mean? Pleasant, right? For someone whose name means pleasant, this is not pleasant at all. She's had way more than her share of grief. She's most likely lost her means uh, for living and maybe to some extent her desire. Looks down in verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. And with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living, and she set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. And may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. And they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. All right, well, again, Moab not that far from Israel. Word travels and says, hey, there's food again back home. And I don't know, if, if, I, if I was Naomi, I think I would want to go back there. If I've lost so much, and I know my extended family is there, I know my culture is there, I know my familiar surroundings, even as bad as things are, I just think I want to go home. You ever just want to go home? And I think that's what she was thinking. I just want to go home. And so, again, probably steeped in poverty, pretty deep poverty, very little way of making income. She's going to make her way back to Bethlehem, back to the people uh, the Ephrathite people, people group, subgroup there. She's going to make her way back. Well, as she's going to make her way back, it's kind of interesting because she has really bonded with these two girls. I'm sure that being in grief together would really tighten their bond, wouldn't it, right? And Ruth and, and Orpah, they're like, we'll go back with you to your people. We'll go and follow you. And Naomi's like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I think it might be better if you just stay here at your home place. No, no, verse 10 says that they said, we'll, we'll go back with you to your people. And so they can't let go of one another just yet. And they've made this commitment to Naomi, we'll, we'll go back with you. Look down at verse 11. Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband to die and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And at this, they wept aloud again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. 
This is a really interesting custom, very strange to us, right? But it's called Leverite Marriage. And believe it or not, I was telling Wendy, I saw a Hallmark movie about this like a couple of weeks ago. And it, it is still in some circles, to some extent, it's still practiced. So basically what it would be is if where Malon and Kilion passed away, if Naomi had had other sons, if, if Malon and Kilion had other brothers, they would take over the marriage responsibility to Ruth or to Orpah so that they could have children and that their land and their rights and their uh, name could be continued to pass down so it wouldn't just be forgotten. And so Naomi is telling the girls here, she's saying to them, look, even if I was married right now, even if I was pregnant and I had kids tonight, it would be 15, 20 you know, years before you could be married. Are you going to sit around and wait 20 years <laughs> to, to have something? And then she says this phrase that's really interesting. She says, the Lord has been more bitter to me than to you. What's her name mean? Pleasant. And just a little bit, you're going to see when she comes back home, she's going to say, call me Mara. And the name Mara means bitter. And she's telling the girls here, like, I don't know why, I don't know what's going on, but, but the Lord's hand has turned against me. And so they begin to cry even more, but Orpah decides that she is going to uh, go back home and Ruth, but Ruth, the Bible says she still clung to her. Now, the, the tricky part is that in this difficult situation, the Lord is going to do something glorious, Right? But at the time, it looks hopeless. I was, I was really moved yesterday. I was praying for Charlotte with Audra there. And I told uh, in the prayer, you know, how my common thing is, Lord, we pray that your name would be glorified, but we'd be filled with great joy. And I said that about a couple different things in the prayer. And after the prayer, Audra says, that, that kind of reminds me of the story in the Bible where the young man's there. And um, Jesus says, was it, was it him or his parents that sinned? And they say, no, it was that God's glory would be revealed. That's what Audra said to me and to Charlotte after we're praying. And she's like, we're going to look for God's glory in this situation. Right? We'll let the wise people speak and the rest of us be quiet, right? So in what I think is very dark, hard situation for Charlotte, Audra there was, we're going to pray for God's glory. Wow. And here, I want you to see in Naomi's life, when things look just terrible, horrible, out of this situation, Messiah is going to come and redeem the world. And today you may be like, the Lord's been more bitter to me than he has to you. My life's been hard. I don't understand. I don't get why this situation is going on, right? And such a little bitty thing for me was like, why are you making me sick, Lord, in a way that I can't do the things I need to do? I don't understand. And yet what the Lord did for me, that was like, hey, buddy, your life is really easy. You pray for Charlotte and you pray for Synthal and you pray for Kay and see other people's needs among you and be thankful for the every blessing you have. For you guys as well today, maybe you're facing something hard, hard, but I want you to see that the Lord has a story in it and we need to seek his glory. So Naomi's in a bitter place. Orpah says, I do love you, but I'm going to go back to my family. 
in Moab, but Ruth clings to her. And we're going to see a little bit more about Ruth's love and coming up. Look at verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her what? Her gods. Important point there. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Now look here what Ruth says. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you what? Die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. You would talk about commitment, right? That's it. That's the highest level of commitment. Naomi says to Ruth, hey, Orpah's going back. I think that you should just go on back as well. And it's kind of scary for me because when I think about Orpah going back to her gods, she may miss her opportunity to know Jehovah. And what we see in Ruth, and I think this is really interesting, and I'm, I would love to understand Ruth's mind here. Ruth must have seen something in Elimelech and Malon and Kilion and Naomi's suffering that God was still very present there. Because most of us, if we'd have seen what Naomi had been through, we'd be like, I don't know what her problem is, but I don't want any part of that. If her God allows these things to happen to her, I don't want that. I'm going to go back to my gods and see if I can get them to do the good things for me because this, this is not good. And yet there was something in Elimelech, something in Naomi, something in Malon and Kilion that Ruth saw that she made this commitment to Naomi. I want to be part of your people. So your preacher says this morning, there's some penology here, but I think her heart has changed. And I want to remind you today that sometimes following God means following him through the unknown. Did Ruth know where she was going? She knew she's going with Naomi, but beyond that, she didn't know. She didn't know that language. She didn't know that culture other than what she had learned from them being in Moab. She didn't know where the things were going to end up. Again, she has no husband. Her mother-in-law has no husband. They probably have no money. They're going to go back, and who knows what their life is going to be. But she is willing to follow through the unknown. Where you go, I will go. She'll leave her culture, her family, her religion. And love was separating her from those things. Where you stay, I will stay. You get to decide, Naomi. You're in charge. I'm tying myself to you instead of doing with what I think will make me the happiest. I choose you. Your people will be my people. I've got a new family now. I will do my best to join in with your tribe and your kindred, your custom and your culture. Your God will be my God. She is forsaking all other gods. Because to choose Jehovah is to choose him alone. And this may be her biggest commitment of all. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. I am tying my life to yours. Two things this morning. I don't think you could have any stronger wedding vows than what we just read there, could you? Right? If you get married to someone, this is the kind of commitment you're making. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people, your family will be my family. I don't like your family, but they'll be my family, right? Your town's going to be my town. Your history is my history. Where you die, I would like till death do us part. 
encompassing the whole thing. I'm giving you everything. You get to help decide my destination. Wow. Ruth does that to her mother-in-law. I mean, I like my mother-in-law, but boy, that's a commitment, right? Think about your in-laws. Could you make that commitment to your in-laws? Let them decide your destination. Let them tell you what to do and where to go and how to behave and how things are going to be. Oh, I don't know. That independent American spirit of me says, I want to do what I want to do, right? Here's the second thing I want you to see. This should be your commitment to Jesus today. Jesus, where you go, I'll go. If you want me at Cross Life, I'll be at Cross Life. If you want me in India, I'll be in India. Where you stay, I'll stay. If I don't like this situation and yet I know that's where I need to be and you're telling me that, I will stay where you tell me to stay, Jesus. Your people will be my people. I get a new family, right? <laughs> this family, right? And I will love them. I will serve them. I will try to understand them. I try to, to be part of that body of Christ. You will be my God. You will be the one in charge. You'll direct my path. And even where I die, that's where I'll be. You're deciding everything. And to me, we have this picture of unbelievable surrender in Ruth. That should be the picture for any person who's making that commitment to follow Christ. That's what it should look like. If you want to tell someone how to become a Christian, tell them to make this pledge to Jesus. That's it. All right. All right. Verse 19. Let's finish up here. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, what? Can this be Naomi? Again, it's been some years, right? We all know what grief does to someone, let alone famine, a different culture. I'm curious. I, again, I'm going to give you a little penology here, just a little bit, right? First thing is that Ruth follows through on her commitment, doesn't she? She's not just talking the game. She is with Naomi. And they come back into town, and then the buzz is everywhere, right? did you see, did you, I think that, is that Naomi? There's no way that could be Naomi. And what I think it could be is that she left as probably a happy, beautiful woman out on adventure with her husband, Elimelech, and these boys on the way and everything. And she's coming back just completely undone with this strange Moabitess girl. Is that Naomi? Again, I want to share with you this morning, I think it's kind of, it's deceptive when we try to tell people that following Christ means that everything in your life is just going to be hunky-dory and wonderful and great and beautiful. It's not, is it, right? Naomi had made commitments, but grief had struck her home. Again, she left in so much potential, but she returns in grief. In verse 20, look at what she says. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Here's something else I want you to take with you from Naomi. She's honest about the Lord, isn't she, right? Sometimes we're scared to be honest to the Lord, but she recognizes that everything filters through the Lord's hands. I almost last Sunday was going to make you listen to Evie Hill preaching his wife's funeral. <laughs> I listened to it at home. And Evie Hill is a famous gospel preacher. 
he gets to preach his wife's funeral, and his text is Job, where it says, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we all love the Lord giveth part, right? The Lord gives us food. Praise the Lord. The Lord gives us shelter. Praise the Lord. The Lord gives us a job. Praise the Lord. The Lord gives us a spouse. He gives us kids. He gives us health. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. Amen. The Lord taketh away. The Lord takes away your job. The Lord takes away your spouse. The Lord takes away your friend. The Lord takes away your food. Praise the Lord. The Lord giveth. The Lord taketh away. Praise the Lord. It's easy on the Lord giveth part, right? The Lord taketh. That's hard on our theology, isn't it, right? Naomi's in the Lord taketh. She understands, and she's being very honest about it. Could the Lord have prevented Elimelech from dying? You better believe he could. Malon and Kilion, her two children, your children should not precede their parents in death, should they? That is not right. Could the Lord have prevented that? He could have. Could the Lord have taken care of the famine so they wouldn't have gone to this foreign land? The Lord has made me bitter. He did it. And I hate to almost agree with her, but she's right. He did allow it to happen. We do a disservice to people when we take God out of the equation of the bad things. Now, definitely sin is involved in wickedness and in pain and in suffering in our world, all right? But I want to speak as clear as I can, and this is not penology. Everything that comes to you is filtered through the hands of an almighty, all-powerful, transcendent God. It all went through his fingers. And you're like, why did he stop this? Well, if he had stopped it in this situation, we would not have had Jesus. Wait a minute. Now that changes the story just a little bit, <laughs> right? If Naomi had known what this was going to come about, that the salvation of the earth is dependent in her suffering here, then maybe she could have held on just a little bit differently, right? But she didn't get a no, did she? And I'm going to tell you this morning, you don't get a no either. You don't get to understand the whole picture. And that's so frustrating and so hard. But I want to say the same truth to you, that in our faith, what we've got to do is that the Lord giveth, yes, praise the Lord. The Lord taketh away, yes, praise the Lord. Let him be glorified and let him fill us with joy. And we got to trust him. And I think Mara here, even in her bitterness, is still trusting the Lord. Verse 22, so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is like you're reading in the chapters in the book, and there's this little hint that the author gives you that things are just about to start to change. Can I tell you today that as short as our lives are, that things are just about to start to change. If you're suffering and you're hurting and you're grieving, and I know some of you are, I'm going to tell you today, the barley harvest is about to begin. You're about to find out that God is going to make something out of your lemons. He's going to make lemonade. <laughs> you're going to find out that God is going to deliver when you didn't think he could. You're about to find out that there's an amazing plan 
that's going to happen where he's going to be magnified and you're going to be filled with great joy. The barley harvest is about to begin. It's not that much longer. Hang on. And that's what the Lord says to us through the book of Ruth. This morning, have you ever known this kind of love, somebody like a Ruth in your life? If you have, praise the Lord, right? This crazy woman on this row over here has got shifted from place to place all her life. And then what did I do to her? Took her from the beautiful promised land of Illinois and brought her to Indianapolis. <laughs> right? She's had to put up with a lot of stuff. But one thing I have never questioned about Wendy is her faithfulness to me. And today, some of you have people like that in your life. You have a Ruth in your life like that. Maybe it's a mom or a dad or a brother or sister, a child even. May the Lord be praised. Amen. Thank the Lord for those people in your life. Have you been this kind of person to someone? I know we're not perfect, but have you made this commitment where you followed through and that when the days were hard and the money wasn't there or the suffering was intense, you didn't run away, you stuck it out. Lord, help me to be that kind of person. Amen. Help me to trust you and help my commitment to the people in my life and especially to you be that kind of commitment. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. This morning, my, my question ultimately to you is very simple. Will you surrender yourself to the Lord like Ruth did for Naomi? You see, if you'll start there, if you'll give your everything to Jesus, then all the other things and places that you need to give in and surrender, that all is easy because the first thing is saying to Jesus, I'll do what you want. You tell me what to do. And the Lord will guide your path, right? Let's stand this morning.